This morning, we're going to be continuing our series, Who I Am, looking at the character and nature and now abilities of God and who we should be in response to who God is. Last week, we started talking about God's omniscience. He he knowing everything and has all wisdom, perfect wisdom. And today we're talking about something else that is extremely crucial about God. And I'm going to start by talking about a good old history tidbit. So in the early 1800s, Lewis and Clark were making their great expedition west with the hope that they were going to take the Missouri River and take it all the way up to the connecting ocean. That was kind of the idea. They were going to try to explore as far as they could in the land. And as they were going across the Great Plains and taking this river, they stumbled upon something that was quite an obstacle for them. The Rocky Mountains. Could you imagine being a pioneer and just expecting everything to just keep being this flat farmland, and then all of a sudden, boom, (laughs) you have these mountains in front of you. So they had these obstacles that made it a lot harder for them to navigate what they were going to do next. And we in life oftentimes have obstacles like this. We have mountains in front of us that it's like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to move that. I'm going to give you an example. Whenever I was growing up and I wanted to watch a movie that I knew I probably shouldn't be watching, I always had to face the massive obstacle that is my mother. So as I was Like, hey, mom, my friends, we want to go see this movie. Can we go see this? I always knew it was a losing battle because she would never just be like, yeah, sure. She'd be like, hold on, let me look into it. Type it in. Yep, no, you're not seeing that one. (laughs) I'm like, no. I mean, we both knew I shouldn't watch that movie, but I was still trying to get past that obstacle, and it didn't happen. But we oftentimes do this as humans, and this is nothing new. If we go all the way back to Genesis... Genesis 18, there's this really funny story to me with Abraham and Sarah. So in this context, Abraham is visited by three visitors. And there's some debate about who the visitors are. Some say it's angels, some say it's God. But it says this in verse 9. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked him. These are the visitors. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him, being a nice eavesdropper. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, my Lord being Abraham, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) I think that's such a funny encounter in scripture. But in this situation, Sarah, who is already old and past her years of childbearing, she's given up on that a long time ago. That ship has sailed for Sarah. She thinks it's an impossibility, and she laughs at the possibility of even thinking that that could happen. And we oftentimes can have that sort of reaction whenever we're faced with an obstacle in front of us that we feel like can't be moved. Maybe there's that person in your life that you just laugh at the idea, like, yeah, right, that person's ever going to change? No way. They're always going to be that way. 
Or maybe you can, in your own life, that one sin that you keep repeating, or that addiction that you can't seem to break, you might look at that and just kind of scoff at it and be like, yeah, that's, that's an impossibility. There's no way. We oftentimes have that reaction to things that are huge obstacles in front of us. But in this story, God did what he said he would do. He made a way when there was no way and blessed Sarah by giving her Isaac. And Isaac literally means one who laughs. So that's a very fitting name for that child, right? God lived up to what he said he would do in verse 14 whenever he asked the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then provides exactly what he said he was going to do. And that question, another way that you can phrase that, is there anything that God cannot do? The answer to this question, to me, is no. Because God has omnipotence. In other words, God has all power. He has all power above all other power. So if you were to stack up all the power in the universe on one side and compare it to God on the other, God would destroy it. God is that much more powerful. In scripture, one of the most popular titles for God is El Shaddai, or God Almighty. He is known as the Alpha and the Omega, or the beginning and the end. He is the God that can split seas and shake the entire earth. He's the God that has power over every sickness and death itself. There is nothing that he can't do. And if any of y'all took me up on my challenge from last week to read Job 38 through 41 and really dig deep into all those questions that God keeps asking Job, you would know this if you read this. There is nothing that God can't do. His power is immeasurable and immense. And this is what leads Job to say this in Job 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job can't help but speak of God's sovereignty. And then here in this verse, he gives one of the best definitions of God's power and sovereignty in all of scripture. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be stopped. In other words, God can do whatever he wants. And this definition, this idea of omnipotence has been criticized largely by opponents of Christianity, there's a question about God's omnipotence that some think can disprove God. And it's this question. Can God create a stone so heavy that he cannot lift it? People target God's omnipotence and think they can disprove God by this question because the idea is if God can create a stone that he can't lift, then he's not all-powerful. And if God can't create that stone then he's also not all-powerful. So boom, we have him trapped in a paradox. And some Christians would fight against that by trying to redefine what omnipotence really means, that omnipotence is really just God can do all things that are logically possible to do, and this does not work with logic. But even that, I don't really love that answer. How I would answer this question is, yes, God can create such a stone. And yes, God can lift that stone. And you might be like, whoa, whoa, wait, that doesn't work. That doesn't work with logic. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because in my view, what God's omnipotence means is that he is above human logic. If he wanted to, he could rewrite logic itself. That is how powerful God is. He can do everything. And God is one of paradoxes. He's not threatened by some paradox that we might come up to try to trap him. How, how on earth is God three in one? 
How is the first last? I mean, this, this, is just, this language is all over scripture. God is one of paradoxes. It doesn't trap him. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. But this is why I try to avoid the words, God can't. I know there are things in scripture that say certain things are an impossibility for God, like to sin or to lie or to change, and those are all true. But if God wanted to, God has the ability to do anything. God can do whatever he wants. But there are a lot of things that God won't do. So let's compare this a little bit. There's a distinction between can't and won't that I want to really make clear. So the first is that I feel confident, right, that God will not ever sin or change or lie. I know he won't do that because it's inconsistent with his character. But can God do that based upon his ability? Yes. But will God ever do that? No. So if this is just a very small semantic thing. Um, so I guess if you wanted to say that God can't sin, I'm not going to fight you on that. I'll be like, yeah, that's fine. But just know his ability, he can do whatever he wants. God has that ability. But like we talked about last week with omniscience, omnipotence can be something that is either terrifying or really encouraging. It could be terrifying if God was one who was like a tyrant, like a dictator, an evil ruler. And if he had omnipotence, that would mean absolute dread for all of us. We would all be toast, right? But what makes omnipotence such good news is because God's character is so good. And that's why we started with God's character. Power is something that magnifies a person's character. If you give somebody who's unhealthy and somebody who's evil power and money to do all the things that they ever wanted to do, they're going to do terrible things with their power and money. That's how it works. So we can oftentimes go towards selfish gain and use it for evil. And what power really does, it just, it just it's a fuel. It gives people fuel to do the things that they want to do in life. And I think all the examples of what it feels like in our culture of what we see whenever people have power, it's normally bad, right? People use that power in corrupt and unjust ways. But if we compare that with typically how people use power by creating a hierarchy and pushing people of lesser power below them so they can stay in power, if we compare that model, what we see around us all the time, with what God does with his power, it's very, very different. Let's start at the beginning. Let's contrast what we see here between God's power and how we use it. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. This is a fundamental verse in scripture. Then God said, let us make man or humanity in our image, after our likeness. And let them, this is important to note here, very from, from the beginning we see God's ideal for both man and woman to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I don't know if there are creeping things that don't creep, but in case you were wondering. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. So as we can see here, one of the primary ways in which we are in the image of God is that we, as a human race, have dominion over the world. And we can use that dominion in awful ways, or we can use it more in ways in which God wanted it to be more of a loving partnership, a loving stewardship of creation. And if we look at what God does, 
So the, word, the Hebrew word for dominion, it also means to rule. God is giving us the power to rule over the earth that he created. He has a very open-handed posture towards power. He gives us power to be over earth. Not that he removes himself from the equation. God still is the ultimate authority over everything. God's the one that has all power, right? But he partners with us. He loves us enough to share in his power, which is fascinating because we don't really see that very much today. God uses his power to empower other people. And we also see this in Jesus. Jesus constantly used his power to empower those who were sick and vulnerable by healing them and giving them fullness of life again. And he heals tons of people uh, by restoring them to their status in society as well, not just their medical problems. He empowers his 12 apostles and 72 disciples to go out and do the same work that he was doing, making disciples and also healing and doing these miraculous things too. And Jesus, he was all about this. He was all about equipping and giving people a voice. Even those that society was like, no, we don't want to hear their voices, such as non-Jews at the time, such as those who were considered the deepest of sinners at the time. So that would be like the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And even women at a time when a, a woman's witness was treated as nothing and they were viewed as property, God gave them a place and a voice. And here we find a couple more, not here, sorry, a couple other places in scripture that we see God's example of him using his power in a fascinating, like this is fascinating, guys, if you really dig into this. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We, who don't deserve anything, are considered co-heirs with Jesus. We are considered royalty in the same breath as Jesus because of what he did for us. Not because of anything that we've done, just because of God's heart. <laughs> We share in that same glory. That's crazy. And here's the second one, Revelation 3.21. This one's also mind-blowing. This is from the mouth of Jesus, okay? To the one who is victorious, so the one who overcomes the schemes of the enemy, stays with the way of Jesus. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. We're talking about the throne of the universe here. And God... <laughs> is saying we can sit on that with him. That is crazy. Like you can see God's posture with power. You can see him handing over power. Not that we're going to become equals with God and be able to have all power over God or whatever. Nothing like that. But God is sharing in his power enough, even in this metaphor. This is, this is just crazy to think about. We don't see that in our world. And also with Jesus, we see that he chose to limit his power in simply becoming human. He experienced all the limitations that we as humans do, all the awkward stages of life that we all have to go through, all the annoying things that we constantly have to deal with in life. Jesus experienced it all. This is crazy. The God who spoke the universe into existence became a weak, defenseless baby. That, that in itself speaks volumes. And then he lived a life where he was ultimately mocked and spat upon and crucified. I think about that song whenever I was growing up that we sang all the time. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. 
God had the power to do something different. He didn't have to do that plan, right? But he willingly chose to sacrifice himself for the sake of the world. He allowed harm to come his way, and he showed us a better example of how we can use our power. Our God is both one who can speak the universe into existence, but also allow himself to suffer and die for you and for me. He is both the lion and the lamb. And both of these metaphors demonstrate God's power in a very powerful way. I want to give a quick shout out to Tracy Grimes, who has this amazing painting of a lion that just like strikes the, the power uh, element of a lion, right? And I think it's such an important metaphor that we realize that God, God is this powerful, but it's not just this powerful. God is this powerful coupled with perfect character. That God is one who fights for us on our behalf. Such a powerful and beautiful thing. So praise God that he is one that is both perfectly powerful and perfectly good. Because if either of those two are diminished, then we don't have a full picture of God. And our picture of God could be very scary. (laughs) But praise God that he is both willing because of his character and able because of his power to make all things right. So how should we be in response to God's power? The first thing is we need to trust in God's power and sovereignty. In life, it's really easy to forget about it or to doubt it because we're oftentimes faced with evil in our life. Hard things come up all the time. We can be fearful of the future and forget that God is working for us. And we are faced with significant evil in this world. We're facing the powers of sin. As scripture describes, we're facing the principalities and powers of this world. We're facing a great enemy in Satan, who is very powerful and is hell-bent on destroying God's good earth. But whenever we're confronted with this evil, we have to remember that whatever evil happens in our life, it will never have the last laugh. Why? Because we have a perfectly good God who is on our side and he has the power to do something about it. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. This is like, if you're an optimist, this is probably on your wall somewhere. But Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. Even what the enemy means for evil. Even the horrible things that happen in our life. No matter what goes on, no matter what comes our way, God in his infinite power is able to take what was meant for evil and turn it into good. That's what God loves to do. And I just think it makes Satan so angry. I bet it makes him so mad. He thinks he has these little wins whenever people choose evil and evil things happen in the world. But God just flips it and turns it for good. That is our God. And just to be clear, there is no dualism in Christianity. It's not like the forces of darkness and the forces of light are like neck and neck and, oh, who's going to win? No, no, no. The power of God is infinitely higher than that of Satan. It's not even close. Satan is currently fighting a losing battle. So whenever he comes up to you and he's telling you about your past and all of the shame that comes with the things that you've done, 
Here's what you can do, as I heard in the song. When Satan brings up your past, bring up his future. Because he is fighting a losing battle. The war is won. It's over. And he is going to lose and lose badly, and God is going to win. There is no scheme of the enemy that threatens God Almighty. God's sovereignty is exactly why Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount that we don't have to be anxious in anything. We don't have to worry. Because God is in control, and he never loses. So no matter what fear or anxiety comes our way, we can rest easy knowing that our good God is in control. And I think we need this reminder this week. And I really thought about whether I should say this or not. But I think I am being convicted by the Spirit to say this. We have a kind of big day coming up on Tuesday, don't we? And I want to give you this reminder. I'm sure some of you might be tempted to buy a narrative or believe that if the person of the other party, or if this certain bill gets passed, it's utter doomsday. The world is over. What are we going to do? How can we recover? There's no hope. You might be tempted to buy into that narrative, but my challenge to you is don't. Do not believe that. Because even if the person that you voted for doesn't make it, and you can totally have your opinion, you can totally vote for whoever, whatever, that's fine, that's good, we should care about the stuff that's happening in our world. But know this, even if you don't get your way, God is not pacing the throne of heaven. He is not walking around like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do if, if they get elected? Oh, man, if they get elected, that puts a huge foil in my plans. Drat. How can I ever recover from this? God is not like that. God's not worried about this, right? And because God's not worried about this, I'm not worried about this. Because we have a good God that's in control. And spoiler alert, he wins. Which means we win. <laughs> and I'm not saying this, this removes the, the urgency or makes us complacent about what's going on in our world. But what I'm saying is it removes the worry. It removes the anxiousness about the future because we know we have a good God in control. And God's sovereignty is exactly why the early church was not afraid of the empire that was breathing down their throats about to kill them for their faith. And they did kill them. The Christians at that time, they were still very active in their world. They were invested in their world. But they weren't, con they weren't concerned with the schemes of the nation and what they were doing trying to persecute them. They weren't concerned about that at all. Because they trusted in God's sovereignty. They were truly citizens of heaven. And read this wild, <laughs> absolutely wild quote from Ignatius of Antioch, which comes from about 108 A.D., he said, let fire and the cross, let crowds of wild beasts, let tearings, breakings, and dislocations of bones, let cutting off of members, let shatterings of the whole body, and let all the dreadful torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me attain to Jesus Christ. Ignatius said these words right before he was thrown into the gladiatorial games and devoured by wild beasts. What on earth could possess somebody to say these words? And it, it wasn't just him. There was this spirit 
of non-retaliatory defiance to what was going on in Rome by the early Christians. They didn't care what came their way. Even to the point of their own death, they faced it with courage and confidence. And they were ready for it. Why? Because these early Christians so trusted in God's kingdom and God's power. Whatever about Rome. And I think we can learn a lot from these early Christians. No matter what happens in our future, if inflation gets higher, if we become persecuted more, if our nation itself falls, whatever it is, none of that is going to change the fact that the kingdom of God will never fall. And it's in no threat of ever falling. And right now the church is expanding and growing, even when we may not see it. So let's trust in God's sovereignty over the powers of this world. Secondly, we need to lean into God's power to overcome. And we oftentimes feel powerless in life. It can be about our sin or an addiction we have or something like that. But here's something to keep in mind. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. The same power. We're not, we're not talking about a lesser one. We're not talking about a different one. We're saying the same power. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. What's interesting, the Greek word for power is dunamis, which is where we get the English word dynamite. It's like the Holy Spirit is our dynamite against the darkness. And through the Holy Spirit, we can truly overcome. We have the power to say no to that sin, even though it feels like a mountain is in our way, even though it's an obstacle. Through the Holy Spirit, through the holy name of Jesus, we can make the darkness flee. We can make the darkness run. It has no say in our life. And I know it's hard to say no to sin. I'm still not perfect. I'm not even close to perfect. But I also want to encourage you, being in a room and being surrounded by other people filled with the Holy Spirit is a great way to combat that sin in your life. It's a lot easier to do it with others. But through the Holy Spirit, and this is, this is why I think Jesus says in John 17 that it's better that I go so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. So we can be empowered to do the same things that Jesus has been doing. We can say no to temptation just like Jesus has through the power of the Spirit. We can overcome through him. And lastly, we need to be a people that uses our dominion for good. We need to use our power and authority for good. Because God has given us power and authority. He's given us resources and the ability to do different things. And we are to use all of those things for God's glory. And what we do with that power does not look like what the rest of the world does with their power. We use our power to serve, to lift other people up, to empower other people, and help them live flourishing lives. This changes how we lead our businesses. This changes how we lead organizations that we're a part of. This changes how we lead our church, right? We need to be people who do the work of discipleship to empower other people like Jesus. We need to give a voice to those who are powerless and voiceless. That's what Jesus did. And instead of looking at how we can use our power to most benefit ourselves, we need to be thinking about how we can use our powerful to benefit the world and our neighbors around us. We have to be better than the examples we see around us. And I, I want to end by asking you all to pray for me, specifically. Since I started taking ministry classes, one of the first things that I kept reading about was 
ministers who continually use their power in unhealthy, exploitative ways. And if you've listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, there's a good example of how there are some unhealthy power structures in churches sometimes. And I've seen some preachers do absolutely wild things and used their members to get them to buy things like a private jet for them. No, I'm not, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Like, all, this stuff is like anti-Jesus. Like, how dare people use their power in that way? So I'm asking you guys, I would be foolish to think I couldn't fall prey to that sort of thing. Because I'm sure a lot of these ministers who have done these exploitative things had really good intentions at the beginning of their ministry. But because of pride, because of the praise from their position or the platform or whatever it is, they ended up slowly creating a power structure that kept them safe, removed all accountability, and let them do whatever they want and use their power in horrible ways. My prayer since I started here was that does not become me. And I'm asking you guys to pray for me in this. Because I know Satan's going to attack me in this way over time. I know he will. It's what he does consistently. I don't want anything that I ever do. I don't want my name to come in the way of God's name being glorified. And, and I'll be honest, I have a fear of that sometimes. That I'm, I'm going to do something that is just stupid, that makes people run away from Jesus. And I pray that never happens to me. And I'm asking you guys to please pray for me in this. Because my prayer right now is that my name be forgotten and the name of Jesus be glorified. And, and my prayer for this church is similar. That we don't ever let being 4th Avenue Church of Christ come before the name of Jesus. That we can be a church, first and foremost, that's all about glorifying God. That our name be forgotten. Forget that we're almost a 200-year-old church, which is really cool. But that's not... That's not that important in the grand scheme of things. Jesus started something 2,000 years ago that's way bigger, right? So let's be a church that is like this, that's all about glorifying the name of Jesus. Let's be a church that trusts in God's sovereignty. Let's be a people who use our power in empowering ways and not in exploitative ways. And let's lean into God's power to overcome the mountains that are in our way. Because through God's power... Any mountain that stands in front of us turns into molehills. I want to end with this blessing from Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Oh yeah, I'm going to pray too. Prayer is an important thing. So y'all come on up. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for being one who has such good character, who's also one who displays such great power, that you are both the lion and the lamb, that you have such a heart for us and have the ability to make good on your promises and to turn good from evil. And we are so thankful that you are the God that whenever you say you're going to wipe every tear from our eyes, 
and death and pain and evil will be no more. We can trust it because we know that you are good and you are powerful to overcome whatever obstacle is in your way. And help us to trust in that. Help us to trust that you know what's best for us even when we don't see it. And help us to trust that you are in the business of making all things right and turning all things into goodness. And give us the eyes to see it whenever you do it. We thank you so much, Lord, for your presence in our life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.